0: Welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. Today I'm going to be speaking with Carolyn Cochlin. We're going to talk about complexity, fitness, and genius. We are, I think, all confronted right now with the complex world, this uncertain, volatile world we find ourselves in. So, this is a hot topic. We'll talk about the relationship between adult development theory based on the work of people like. Robert Keegan, and how that relates to complexity. We'll talk about how can we grow our complexity genius through the lenses of context, identity, and SOMA, and why they're important vectors in which we can find traction. And we'll talk about experiments towards the end. I I really appreciate that. There's this sense that often when we create practices for ourselves and our clients, underlying it might be this implicit sense that we're doing it to solve a problem, you know, if I, if I can just do this practice, then I'll be able to get the growth that I want and solve this problem. And that actually, that might not be the best place from which to start doing a certain practice. Instead, we might see it as an experiment where we might even want to have an 80% chance of failing. And why that actually in the long run or in the short run might lead us to where we want more quickly. Carolyn Cochlin is an executive coach, facilitator, and leadership development specialist, and has been for over 15 years, and is one of the co-founders of Cultivating Leadership. All right, let's dive in now. Here's the podcast with Carolyn Cochlin. All right, so Carolyn, it's wonderful to be with you today on your sabbatical week as well, so I feel quite privileged that you've been able to join us. How's things with you today?
1: Uh, Things are really good, thanks. Thanks. It's a beautiful day. I don't exactly know how I'm going to spend my time today, aside from this and one other thing. So, that's um, a little (laughs) unsettling in itself, actually. (laughs)
0: That sounds quite delicious to me as well. Um, Just tell us a little bit about you know who you are, what you do, actually, so the listeners can be up to speed with that before we talk about our topic today of complexity and coaching. So,
1: yeah. So, um, I am uh, one of the four founders of a uh, leadership. Development consulting firm called Cultivating Leadership, and we founded the firm about because it's eleven years ago now, ten or ten or eleven years ago. It was a soft start, and um, and what we do as a firm is that we support leaders to thrive in complexity. That's essentially what we do, and I I in particular have a had long had like I said fascination with um, how is it that we can work with leaders to help them be more fit for for complexity. So yeah, this wasn't an idea that I came in thinking was the, was the big topic for me. But as I worked, as all of us worked with leaders and tried to teach them uh, and did teach them about complexity of the world, we found that it was relatively easy to help leaders to see the world slightly differently. Than they had been seeing it um, to see it through a complexity lens, but to actually act in ways, to be in ways that really are um, fit for purpose, that are that are work well in complexity. That's the hard part. So that's the thing that I've been, you know, really sort of dedicating most of my time to over these last years. And I um, and I do a lot of coaching, and I work with senior teams, and I run programs. So.
0: Nice. Well, I think we're going to go into in more detail those things you just shared. I just wonder, to start off with, if we could just, you know, paint the picture of why complexity is important. I've been saying, I think I said this to Jennifer, one of your colleagues or co-founder, recently. and I I was listening to people talk about complexity and I was always like, yeah, you know, I don't know, my life seems pretty... It's like this complexity thing it's like are they overstating it and then you know became a father and then the pandemic hit and you know, you know there was just one event after another and I was like oh yeah okay so I know what they're talking about right now and so I just wonder if you could maybe yeah you're coaching leaders and training leaders like is this um What's going on around in the world right now? You you know, we're in a world of complexity. Are they are they also talking about that and finding difficulty with that?
1: I would say so. Yes. I mean, it it depends. And, you know, um, one of the things that so we're talking about complexity here, but um, one of the things that is a core way that I see the world and my colleagues as well, is through the lens of adult development, which is, of course, the the thing we're up to in the art of developmental coaching, or one of the things. Um, so I think that in the earlier stages of a person's developmental journey, it it's a lot harder to see complexity, because um, our world is smaller, right? So when we're younger, our world is smaller. And what's, what's fit for purpose for a world that's smaller is a smaller view, a more a simpler view. And what happens is that as things become more complex, so let's just say, um, you know, a 20-something-year-old or maybe late 20s, early 30s-year-old who's been super successful in business um, at, by doing certain things by kind of following a almost a, a formula for how to figure things out and do it really well. This person, and I speak from personal experience here and the experience of a lot of my clients, um, this person who's been successful doing that, um, why would they see the world as complex? They see what they see and they act accordingly. And so it's so that, as the world becomes more complex, what tends to happen, and I see this with my clients, is that um first, there's this kind of a doubling down and trying to um you know work harder, do more of the same. And when I say more complex, that often happens when when uh, a leader scales in some way, so they start to manage people for the first time, or suddenly they find themselves in a matrixed organization, or um, you know, the, the um, for the first time they uh, they run across a problem that they can't actually solve. So there's a there's a doubling down, to trying to do more, and then often, and this is what Bob Keegan says, right? We grow, we develop. Often, when the complex, be, uh, the when the context becomes more complex than our meaning-making can handle. And then often there's a kind of a fighting, and then sometimes, hopefully, we grow our meaning-making to um, to be able to, 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 to a way that's more fit for the context. So I say all that um, to say that, you know, that's always been a thing, <laughs> um, but the, so, and then when, let's say when people have children or when in some other way when their parents get sick maybe, or something happens in their context and it doesn't have to be work. Um, th- this, this always, this happens to almost all of us unless we live a life that we keep really, really contained in some way. But the what's happening now for the leaders that I support is that, um, you know, first of all, the the pandemic was uh, in the weirdest way, um, a gift to, you know, people who, like us who, were, who have been trying to help leaders to, really get that the world is not predictable and not controllable in so many ways, because this was a universal thing that we all experienced and nobody had ever experienced it before. But now, um, and we could kind of see this coming, but nobody really knew how it would play out. Now we've got this return to work. I heard a client the other day call it, um, there was the great resignation and now there's the great return. And, um, and, you know, nobody knows how that's going to play out. And there are some people who are really trying to control it and say, you must come back to work. We see this in the financial services industry Um, and others like other clients of mine who are trying to work with the culture of their organization and, you know, let people figure it out a little bit more with some gentle guidelines. But so there's that. And then, um, and then, you know, with the, the war in Ukraine, um, you know, we're starting to see how this is affect- there are predictable patterns to how a, a war will affect supply chains um, but nobody knows exactly how it's going to happen and how it's going to affect them so these are just like a couple things and these are the big things each of us every day faces little things that are unpredictable <laughs> excuse
0: me yeah exactly exactly um, and I think that's interesting the different contexts how they start to all stack up you know from our day to day moment-to-moment, moment, perhaps mundane experience to these larger, you know, global events. And I want to just come back to something you said, which was, you know, typically if somebody starts to uh, experience more complexity in their lives, their response is to double down and work harder. And I just wondered, you know, and then it sounds like they get frustrated with that at some point, and then they might try to do different things. You said they change their meaning-making. I'm just wondering, like, what do you think people could be doing or maybe should, you know, in those moments, instead of that path of doubling down, working harder, what do you think would be a more effective way to start to cope with that complexity or, or thrive inside of it?
1: Well, that's a big question. I think there are um, that one of the ideas behind um, complexity fitness is that so this is the big idea um, is that. It, that the first step, a first, a useful first step. Um, it's not exactly linear, of course, most things aren't. But a useful first step is actually learning about complexity and how it's different from from the predictable world. So, just having a a language so that when we look out at the world and we say, "Okay, I'm trying to get my team." to get along better with each other, or to get along with the, you know, my department to get along with the other department that we have to work really closely with. To be able to see that that is this thing that you can call complex, right? Where there are multiple interrelated parts, each of which uh, is unpredictable in itself, each of which has some agency and they get to act however they want to, and nobody else can really predict or control that. So to see the context for what it is, the situation for what it is, uh, is can be a really big help because you know often giving language to things makes them visible in new ways. Until we have a word to describe it, a way to understand it, um, it can be hard to see. We tend to define, we see the world as we are, not as it is. And so, um, and when we are, um, when we only know the kind of um, what we've learned and what we've been successful at, which is to see things, break it down into its component parts, find the root cause, analyze, figure it out, and nail it, then everything looks like that when we look out at the world. So I think that's, that's a really useful first step, and it doesn't have to be the first step, because there are other things that can be really, really helpful, which are just to um, help people like noticing. Noticing is one of the, the complexity geniuses that Jennifer and I talk about in in, in our new book. And um, it's so mundane, right? Like noticing how, I had a client one time say, are you seriously going to teach our people to notice? Like that's not sexy enough. <laughs> and, um, but noticing what's happening in our own bodies in certain situations, in our, in our emotions, our thoughts, our bodies, it's so innate in us and just, we don't often take the time to do it. So there's noticing, there's being able to shift our state when we're, when we're overwhelmed and triggered. Um, so those are, I would say three of the, the big kind of, they're, you know, they're not that, they're not that, um, they're not that big of new news really, but um, we just often don't do them.
0: So I think those are helpful. Mm. Yeah. And I'm I'm getting a sense of uh, maybe we could talk about this idea of uh, complexity, fitness and genius more. And I think you mentioned three elements that are important to that. And you're speaking about them now, I think like identity, Soma and context. Um, I'm just getting a sense of like people are probably put into their, it's a relationship with their relationship to things like control or being effective. You know, that's one thing I, I noticed that the journey I went on was like there was a certain order and control that I used to have in my day to day activities that it just suddenly no longer worked. You know, and and so I would uh, I was f- I was forced to grow bigger and allow things to move through me more. You know, like not to hold on to being in control. And that, that was really at the, at the core of my identity in a sense. And so it was kind of disturbing work to do, but also on the flip side, liber- liberating to do, because I suddenly found like I, c- I could allow things to move through me more that I used to hold onto.
1: Yeah. And this is one of the, thank you for sharing that story about yourself. Um, I i am guessing most People who are listening to this, including myself, have a, a similar journey. And often it's a it's an iterative thing. You know, it happens when something in our life it tends to happen when something in our lives has become too difficult or too painful, or we, you know, it we we see this as not working as well as it used to. The thing you're talking about there is um in complexity, the complexity fitness set of ideas is what um what I call Uh, noticing the way your identity is triggered under certain circumstances. So, um, and by identity, what I mean is identity gets defined in a whole bunch of totally legitimate uh, and different ways. But the way I think about it is simply um, our sense of who we are, right? The person we mean to be in the world. And um, usually, I mean, that's made up of things like our values, our beliefs, um, that's the big thing. And if you ask almost anybody how they want to be seen in the world, they'll mostly be able to tell you. And so, this is what I mean by identity. So, like for example, Joel, if you um, you it sounds like you thought of yourself as someone who had things under control, you could manage things, and um, and so when you were faced with situations that you couldn't actually control, it feels awful. And so, but often we don't know, like, what is, what's going on here? What, what feels awful here? So again, this idea that our, our our identity gets triggered by certain contexts um, and then, and then we can begin to look for the ways that um, like first, first the, the, the work is, and this is where coaching is so useful is to begin to understand our own identities, our values, our beliefs, um, this is the subject object idea, right? In, in adult development, what are we fused with? Um, what are we, who do we want to be? What are we kind of um, attached to being? And what do we really not want to be seen as? Um, those we sometimes call our aversions. So we look at our attractions and our aversions. We look at our core values. And um, and then we can sort of get a sense of, oh, when I can't be in control, that really triggers me. And so there's this sort of cause, you know, I guess it's sort of a cause and effect um, relationship between context and what happens in me. And if we can begin to see the patterns, then that raises our awareness. So this whole work of noticing our identity at stake, how our identities get triggered is super helpful. How you do that is, um, you know, this is where coaching is very, very helpful or some other kind of you know, helping profession.
0: I was going to ask you that question actually. How do you do that with the leaders you're working with? When yeah, you know, you're you're exploring these topics. Like, what, how would you begin to surface ident- their sense of identity that might be, you know, getting triggered or activated? Say they, you know, they've been promoted or. I don't know, whatever, but they t- suddenly found themselves like I know Keegan uses that sense, like that term in over their heads. So h- how do you start to help them surface their identity in, in a coaching conversation?
1: Uh, well, this is probably going to be a very unsatisfying answer, but it's um, it's just it's listening. <laughs> and so like, you know, at the beginning of a coaching engagement, most of us, most coaches will ask, OK, so why coaching? Why now? Tell me a little bit about what's going on in your life. And we try to get at their goals, um, what their hopes are. And so um, there's, the, the, there's the story. So I'm listening for the story that the, that the client is telling about what's going on. But I'm also listening really, really uh, keenly for um, words that they use. Um, or phrases that they use, like that, that um, like repeated words like responsibility or, um, or kindness or competence or anything that they use to describe um, themselves in context. Uh, I am paying attention to, because often what these are are strong values or beliefs, and it often will give a clue to the relationship between the the client and their context. And and so then I I listen and then I ask questions. Um, And for those of you who have some uh, sort of uh, exposure to subject object theory or the growth edge work, you might recognize questions like, what's the hardest thing about that for you? Or, uh, or, you know, what's at risk for you if, if, um, you know, in this situation, So it's this listening, kind of below the surface for attachments, aversions, um, values that they seem to be kind of really fused with, and um, and then I just reflect those back. You know, I just say I just offer it back as a mirror, and then we get and often I'm totally wrong, so that's fine, and um, and then we just um, I just see what comes up for the client. So it's this really different kind of listening that is. so incredibly helpful and not not intuitive, really. Um, like our curiosity as human beings, I think is intuitive, but sometimes it's so blocked by what we feel we have to accomplish. So, um, you know, you look at little, listen to little kids, they're curious about everything. Um, adults don't seem to be so curious unless we cultivate it on a regular basis. So that's one thing is the listening.
0: Mm, yeah, no, but I think, you were quite modest about oh it's just listening, but actually that's a there's a deep art to that kind of listening and yeah maybe you're saying yeah, as children we kind of naturally have that in us, but it sounds like you're listening for these like this deep deep beliefs or beliefs that are our identity as you're explaining, and so you, you ask those questions like what's the hardest thing or what's the best thing about this. And I think, um, if I'm right, and stand a little bit, you might ask that once or twice, even or three times. Sorry, not once, but twice or three times. And uh, you're trying to like get to the edge of someone's thinking, and that's where there's a lot of fertile ground.
1: There is, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm curious for you, Joel. Like, what you know, what? I, maybe I shouldn't be asking you questions, but what, you know, when you when you explored your some of your um, things that that were. Your beliefs that were getting in your way. I mean, how did this happen for you?
0: No, it's, you're t- totally fine to ask. Um, I think, I think the, the so there's different ones that I've noticed. You know, so it's really powerful. So, so like my definition of being successful has been being one, and you know, just noticing how ingrained it is for me to. Even things around time and success, like working five days a week, you know, you talked about being on sabbatical, uh, and so I find that really interesting. But it's this, you know, so being someone who works is someone who works nine to five, five days a week, and that's, you know, it's a really socialized. If we talk about developmental theory, it's a really socialized belief. But I just notice how ingrained that is into my into my kind of habit nature, and so. I mean, I, I think there's just been a process of, um, of exploration and, and I'd say that one's been one of the more delightful ones to let go of and to discover that my sense of value isn't tied to, to time in that sense, but also even that my creative process can actually be liberated when it's taken out of the, the the confines of that 9 to 5 monday to friday feeling you know that it has a whole kind of it has a has a kind of felt sense to it you know like it can be heavy and so there can be like a liberatory effect of stepping out of that and finding this kind of like a, i don't even know what to call it is it like um um going to mix them up now but uh, kairos time you know Kairos and Cronus time. So it's like there's a there's a kind of exponential creativity that can come from from falling outside of that that kind of yeah uh, frame that I'm holding. And just just the, the other one that I find um, the other one about being in control and um, you know it was all Dao is really painful. Obviously was it just wasn't a painful experience because it's really tied in with. Also being comfortable and peaceful, so it was like it wasn't just like I'm not necessarily like an incredibly controlling person, maybe more than I'd like to admit, but it was all mixed in with like being being peaceful and in uh, you know orderly or or like um, you know having it together, and it just kind of felt like that one got beaten out of me through being repeatedly put up against these experiences where I was outside of. Where I got triggered, and, and and I felt the pain of that, and therefore I started somehow. Yeah, I'm mean even just to see like there was more possible. You know, I was like it. It out of the pain, I was like, I have to hold this more differently. Otherwise, I'm going to go crazy. You know, so and that's what that that's what precipitated the shift suddenly. And then it was like, oh, actually, if I don't respond to everything, uh, it's it's fine. And things go better actually. Maybe
1: good,
0: right, right. Yeah,
1: yeah. Phil, there were two, thank you for that. Um, There were two things
0: in your story that really
1: struck me that are important, I think, really helpful to understand as human beings, as coaches. Um, One is that often um, the the shift, the beginning of the shift is precipitated by some sort of a pain, some pain, right? Let me get out of the pain of trying to remain in control, um, even though... Even though I it's getting harder and harder, and I'm seeing all kinds of unintended consequences um, of it. And so, but then later, um, what we see is that that it's, so much can be unleashed by um, changing our relationship to this thing that really held us. So your one about time was a really stark example, right that that, that suddenly, when you le- were able to um, push the edges of that, Uh, belief that you maybe didn't even know that you had uh, before you started looking at it, then all kinds of new things became possible. So that's one. Like it it starts often starts as getting out of pain. And then if we stick with it, something really beautiful happens um, and that we didn't expect. The second thing I was so fascinated by um, in your story was that you thought it was about control, but it really, it wasn't control in maybe the kind of control freak sense. You know, it was... Um, and it was all tied up with um, with comfort and your own sense of well-being and all these other orderliness and things that that kind of that contributed to your own happiness. And this is um, this is the thing that I think is, um, again, it may not seem like a big deal to some of you and it doesn't seem like a big deal to me anymore, but it really is a big deal to a lot of my clients is this idea that we in here in
0: here, we are incredibly complex
1: because it's not just... About- when you say
0: in here, you're pointing to your, to your my, body. Oh, my, yeah, in yeah. your body, right. You're just just for people back. listening. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, it's not just about control. Control is related to comfort and comfort is related to a sense of well-being and these things. So you shift one thing, and this is what happens in complex adaptive systems. You shift one thing and you don't actually know what else it's connected to or how tightly... So something will change. You just don't know what it is exactly. And so, like messing around, probing around with things, doing little experiments with yourself um, is just can un- unlock so many things you didn't even know were there. So we are complex. Is the is the thing that's the big news, and that opens up all kinds of possibilities for coaching, for supporting ourselves and others to. To, to change in ways that we, you know, that make our lives better and others' lives
0: better. Uh, something you, I, I see is context, identity and Soma. You know, you've been saying so far that identity, we've, we, our identity kind of gets activated in different contexts. And and then I see that Soma, we, you know, we, we are a Soma, yeah? So they kind of nestle inside of each other, uh, so to speak. yeah. And I just want to, maybe that's kind of really obvious, but I just wanted to p- point that out and just see see what you say. Like, uh.
1: Yeah. So um, I think of it as, and again, I'm using my hands here, but um, to show this kind of, a, like the context is the biggest level of scale where you can think of it. This is all oversimplified, of course, because it's hard to think in, you know, multiple dimensions. But um, the context is the biggest level of scale at which a complexity exists. There's a ton of complexity in our world. I think most of us can see that. And then, and if, if we if we zoom into a little uh, uh, another level of scale, there's this like our sense of self. So now we're talking about me, but my I, my identity interacts with the world, right? So so how I am being um, often as a result, it will related very closely to the person I believe myself to be and the person I want to be, my identity. Um, that's another level of complexity. Um, and then if we go in even to a, a smaller level of scale, then we've got our actual body, our soma, our, the sum total of our nervous system, um, everything that's happening kind of in the physical, in the physical body. Um, And those things, of course, interact with each other. So the idea is that we can intervene at any one of these levels of scale um, if we want to become more fit for complexity. And so this gives us like so many options. This is very cool, (laughs) at least I think so.
0: Yeah, well, because it gets my mind thinking about how could we, like, level up our complexity genius and, you know, kind of saying that the there's so many ways you could kind of, um, you know, start. And I heard you earlier say that noticing is a huge thing. So uh, I'd love to probably talk more about that. And then I'm just wondering, you know, in terms of context, because identity and SOMA, I can get a bit more. Like, so so I can imagine with identity, you know, we already talked about the conversations where you're listening uh, to people's core beliefs or, you know, what they're fused with, and then you're able to reflect that back and that can start to open things up. And so I can imagine, yeah, you know, people noticing how they react and hold tension in the face of the unknown can actually start to increase their tolerance to that kind of uncertainty and, and probably even metabolize some of it so they become more somatically spacious but i'm just curious in terms of context what kind of things people might do other than change their context you know yeah. uh what what kind of like things do you have people play around with or do on that level yeah
1: i mean i think that that the, most of them are various versions of um of seeing the context seeing the world outside of you um as it is, I'll just say as it is, rather than as, as we are. And so um, it is like in our, in our leadership programs, in, in most of my coaching engagements too, at some point, i um, I teach this, um, this um, really lovely, useful framework, um, a set of ideas called Kenevan, which um, is a, it's a way, it's a, um, a little, set of ideas, a little, a big set of ideas um, invented by a guy named Dave Snowden and his colleagues, Mary Boone and others, um, who, it's a, it's a set of lenses um, through which we can look out at the world. And um, he, they, um, they give us definitions for different kinds of challenges and problems um, so that we, each of those can focus our, our, our seeing are, are looking out at the world. So those that set of lenses um, is really, really useful. Um, so that's kind of a big one. Um, and then um, and then there are things like um, you know just um, we talk in the book about about arriving. so the importance of arriving. So when you arrive in a new situation with a new person, um, with a group of people consciously arriving, Um, And arriving both internally, you know, many of you you listeners have probably experienced coming to a coach's rising course, and there's always this um, centering. Um, And so that's arriving with ourselves. But another part of arriving is arriving in our context. So I often encourage people to look around the room, look at who else is here, uh, arrange your physical context. Um, This is one of the reasons um, that I was late this morning is because I'm in a new place and I really wanted my context to be um, one in which I could show up the way I wanted to show up. So it's just had to arrange things a little bit, for example. So arriving consciously in context is a really, really helpful one. Um, Then there's, you know, probably what a lot of coaches already know to do. Oh, go ahead, Joel. Sorry.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask, um, I want to come back to the Kinevin model too. Uh, so what is that? What's taking place there with that arriving? You Because know, on the one level, it could be like, um, well, no, let me just stick to the question. Like, what, what do you think is going on there? Is that helping us organize ourselves in relationship to our experience?
1: Can you, when you say organize ourselves in relation to our experience, what do you mean by that?
0: Well, you know, I can imagine, um, so there's almost like a ritualistic element to arriving somewhere that I, you know, I don't just sit down in a room and, you know, okay, there I am, but actually I, I, I like consciously arrive, so I'm sitting and then I'm looking around, I'm orienting, I'm kind of taking in information and, and but in a, in a kind of conscious way so that it's actually maybe restructuring who, who I am in that moment, you know, and therefore I feel maybe bigger or more intimate with my surroundings and, and then opens up more potential.
1: I love, I love that. Um, I'm so glad I asked you. That I love the way you describe it. It reminds me of this, another idea I find really helpful. And um, some people push back on me about this, um, so, I'm, I'm not saying this is the truth, but it's something that really helps me um, is that we are, we really only exist in context. Right. So, I am this, this person that I am, is always in a context. And this is where I was saying a few minutes ago that my identity is sort of where I meet the world. Um, and who I am is so dependent on the context. Some of you listening might think, Oh no, I'm exactly the same wherever I go. And that may be true. I'm not. (laughs) Most of my clients are not, you know, we're always, whether we know it or not, we are always scanning the environment. And then this question, which is often subconscious is who do I need to be here in this moment? And so the ability to, one of the, um, the, 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 the things that we get more of, I think, as we get um hopefully older um and we get more of this thing called wisdom <laughs> is um is the ability to scan and adjust. And it's not that doesn't mean we're being sort of defined by the context. It means we're looking at and we're going, oh, what's needed here? And how does that meet who I am? And so it's um it's nuance. I think it's one of the things in uh, complexity fitness I refer to as fluidity. Um, um, We need to be fluid through our context. So um, yeah, scanning and, and um, noticing that I am here in context and what is the context and what does that mean for me? What's, what's needed here?
0: Can I ask you a question about that? Because that question, who do I need to be? Is that, uh, is that a question that is, you know, like who do I need to be here, or like who do I need to be? So I'm emphasizing, you know, that I'm in this certain context, and there are there are, I'm, I'm, the world is coming into me too. Like maybe I could make that a bit clearer. Like um, I'm interested in this idea of like who do I need to be, but I'm interested in this idea of like what is what is the life asking me to be in this moment. So there's a permeability, and there is often a liberation inside of that too. You know, like that it eases that part of me that that wants to be something, and um, maintain that sense of something, and actually can be kind of co-created in the moment. So I just I just wonder what comes up for you as I share that. Yeah,
1: what's coming up for me is that it's a, it's a very um, a very nuanced idea because when, as I listen to you say back to me, who do I need to be? um, It comes, it it can sound like a very um, uh, sort of myopic view of the world, you know, that I, oh, I need to be something here and that it's about me um, only. And what I mean is, is actually that, you know, we can shape, like we, we can shape the context. We're at, when we walk into a room, when we walk into a situation, when our clients walk into a situation the the whole context is different by that one person's presence, right? Any one person um, sh- changes a context. And the context is also changing the person. This is always happening. So there's this, this, um, this, uh uh Two way relationship here. I, was, I hesitated when I said two way because actually that also sounds pretty simplistic. But we are shaping the context, and it is shaping us all of the time. So um, when I say who do I need to be here, I don't mean oh like there's one per one you know answer to that, and then and then it's solved. It's this constantly noticing um, the relationship between me and context. That's the co-creation, right?
0: Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's interesting as we talk about it, I can feel what it does to me in this moment, you know, which is mm-hmm. like it. Um, there's a richness to, to the sense of contact with you where, you know, like the sense of self I have actually, like, softens and, you know, there's a kind of sense of flow as we're, as we're kind of being, you know, as we're being together in this conversation and, and being inspired by what each of us are sharing you know so and I, I think it just makes me think of like some you know cognitive science and the the idea of the extended self you know and even Dan Siegel's work where I think it's really a frontier of ours isn't it and particularly in the west actually to begin to like and I wonder how this works developmentally actually um, that, that that we hold back like, our identity as being this sense of being an individual with like a as boundary and that, yeah, one of the things we're being invited to let go of or question into is that, so.
1: So when you were saying, like when you were talking about the kind of field between us right here as we're talking to each other and how you're noticing something about yourself, um, this is another, such an important idea for leaders. And I think it's so under understood and under um Undervalued uh, by by most by many leaders, not all, but this idea of like the relationship space, right, and how important that is in organizations. And I was particularly uh, reminded of this idea that um, that I am, you know, each of us is different in different people's presence, and one of our complexity geniuses is the ability to connect with others we talk about it um, as love and love is not one of the concepts that most leaders think about, you know, that they need to be able to develop (laughs) to be able to do, but we all, most of us have this in us and um, in the presence of, of, of love and connection and deep regard for another human being, each of us can thrive. Like we get bigger in those, in those situations, people get bigger in those situations. So if leaders want to create environments where people can be their biggest selves, that this real deep connection um, is so, so crucial. It's not just a nice to have, it's crucial in complexity because there, there, there needs to be trust when there are no predictable um, what's going to happen next. So you can't have, rules and processes that guide everything and, uh, you know, um, account for every possible scenario, what you need to have is trust and you need to have people showing up as their, as their biggest selves. So it just, you reminded me of that as you were describing that Joel. So I wanted to offer it as an idea.
0: And, and so I guess there you're like advocating in organizations that there is yeah a strong interp- interpersonal, sense between the teams and um, informal connections that all those kinds of uh, ways of being together is, is, is important, Yeah, that leaders actually take care of that, the culture, I guess, in a sense
1: Yeah, and again when you say that back to me, in a way it just sounds so mundane, like of course
0: interpersonal relationships are important
1: and I, I don't think that we, I think it's important to not underestimate how important that is because um, each person actually does what's possible for each person changes depending on the quality of the, the presence uh, and the connections with other people I really believe that and I've seen it I've, and I've experienced it myself
0: yeah I yeah a hundred percent I just want to because I, I just as you speak I get this sense of the uh, what would be the word like the the strength or the power of a collection of people and what's possible when they have a deep connect, you know, a sense of deep connection and trust between them and a space where they can even come into generative conflict, you know, that the kinds of information that's being processed between those kinds of um, collections of people and the uncertainty that they're able to handle and absorb is much greater than you know, a team that's um, that's oriented around um, you know following strict rules and procedures, and has a su- more superficial level of connection. Uh, yeah, or yeah, fear, absolutely,
1: or fear. Yeah, fear is right.
0: Yeah. Um, I, and like I also am aware that I cut you off, so there was another thing you wanted to share. But I also want to come back to Dave Snowden's work, and you mentioned Kenevin and. Um, I'm just curious the that brings up for me this question around his advocacy of a different mode of being I think in in a complex environment. I think it's like probing, sensing, responding, something something akin to that and how that fits in in the context of complexity genius and do you find yourself coaching leaders to Move in that mode of being more, you know, and, and what helps them to do so?
1: Yeah, if so. Yeah. So yeah, Dave Snowden says the kind of um, um, way of being that he suggests in the complex domain is probe, sense, respond. I tend to think of that as experiment and learn. When he says probe, you know, it's like it's like exper- running little experiments to see how. The system is self-organizing. So, how are things actually working right now? What are the relationships uh, between and among the various parts of the system? How do they affect one another? What are the strong attractors in the system? You know, what are the what are the patterns? So, um, so experimenting is, we think, a complexity genius. And um, and sorry, <laughs> sorry about the dog. Um, the experimenting is a complexity genius. And um, again, we are wired for that really as human beings, we are wired. If you look at little kids, um, little kids are trying stuff all the time. And so they are, uh, you know, like let's, they they throw something off their the little kid, throw something off their high chair and see whether somebody will pick it up. And sure enough, mom or dad or somebody does pick it up and then they try it again and they see if it'll happen again and again. And um, so we do this all the time, but somehow in our adult lives, we, especially as leaders, we sort of think we have to know um, what's to do before we do it. One distinction between experimenting and, and empl- deploying what you think is going to be a solution. This is the, this is the distinction here. So with experimenting, um, it, you you don't know how it's going to turn out. You're experimenting to see if you can learn the nature of the system. So this, I was telling you earlier in the conversation, this, um this idea of me taking a sabbatical week once a month for first, for the first six months of the year. Um, this is an experiment on one level. You could see it as, okay, Carolyn is trying to get more space in her life. So she's just going to take one week off a month and that will solve it. Um That's one way to look at it. Um, I don't believe that it is going to solve anything. I'm looking at it as, okay, let's see what happens when I plan one week of unplanned time per month. Um, And, I'm watching, paying attention, noticing what happens for me, and what I noticed yesterday, for example, um, because I it was this is the first of my four sabbatical weeks in which I have had literally nothing planned, other than starting out by talking to you. Um, is um, it, but yesterday I started to notice in myself. Questions like, "What am I going to do?" And then I started to go to planning, and I thought, "Oh well, I have so much time. I could do this. I can do this." I started to make a to-do list, and then I stopped. I laughed at myself, and then I just breathed and said, said, "Oh, I have a pretty strong habit nature, a set of patterns that that kind of propel me, compel me to do something." So, so this week is not about doing nothing. It's about noticing my patterns and then trying little things it experiments inside the big experiment to, um, to shift some of those, see if I can shift some of those patterns. So, so this is an example of experimenting versus solving. Um, and it's a lot to do with learning and noticing and
0: learning. Cause I can really see how a lot of my experiments actually aren't really experiments. They are actually solving a problem yeah i'm going to try this out you know my i might call it an experiment but under, my underlying attitude is it's like solving the problem but it feels feels quite different and i'm just curious how you know could how do you help identify an experiment the right kind of experiment for someone you're coaching as opposed to it being you know uh, solving a problem how can you have it be like really become part of their own developmental journey?
1: Well, I mean, I usually ask the client to come up with an experiment. And so then. <laughs> they...
0: Simple answer. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And, then we, and then we test the experiment. The first question I ask is, okay, um, um, so what will it be like for you? What do you imagine it'll be like for you? if that? Well, first I ask, what does success look like? And then I will ask. So, what will it be like for you if that goes wrong? If you don't get the outcome you're looking for? Um, and then, um, and and so, and then I ask, how you how will you learn from it? What are you hoping to learn from it? And it just because we're not wired for, you know, as adults anyway, to come up with experiments as ways to make progress against some problem. Um, most of the time you'll find that they're 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 trying to solve something. So so there's a lot of laughing that happens as well um, as we talk about experiments. And really, it's about helping them to um, get to an experiment where they're pretty clear about what pattern in themselves or in the system outside them are they testing? What are they trying to learn? And um, I try to also ask them to imagine, that it goes wrong, what will wrong look like? And then in really try to embrace that, Um, you know, experiments should have a way greater than 50% chance of going wrong in the sense that it doesn't get you the movement in the, you know, it doesn't work the way you think it's going to work. So you'll then also redefine what success looks like.
0: But how how do people like that? way? you said, would you say that someone like, actually what we really want is that there's a greater chance then fifty percent that your experiment goes wrong. I imagine a lot of people are like, uh, "Well, that doesn't sound fun." But <laughs> yeah, the, how does that go? Do you pe- are people up for it? Because they get the sense of why or yeah. yeah, So first of all, Dave Snowden says something more like eighty percent should
1: fail in the sense that they don't get you the movement forward that you that you want. Um, and um, here's where. Uh, laughing does come in a lot. I think the humor is important because um, this kind of um, this sense that um, if I'm going to spend my time doing something, um, it better work. Um, Like this is just a, this is a a, a sense that I I find it's really helpful to disrupt um, because you know, if, if I'm all about making forward progress and being successful, it really, really limits the scope of what I will try. So, um, so sometimes I'll actually have them um, just like I was saying earlier, just describe in great detail, all of the ways that the experiment could go colossally wrong. And that's where we get laughing. Um, You're asking though, kind of, I think what you're asking is, um, you know do clients are they willing to do this or is it just way too way too hard and way too counterintuitive is that the question
0: well uh yeah like i've got a load I, i'm really inspired by this by the way um so i guess yeah in a way the question is coming from i think this is this is what i'll say because of why I'm inspired by what you're saying because I feel like one of the things we're caught in is this like linear sense of forward motion, incremental change that um, creates this certain kind of pressure and drive, and a lot of coaching clients seem to come with that. And there's something feel, that feels very different about what you're proposing that for me feels very rich and, and, and perhaps like transformational in a way that we don't expect, which is that we're, we're like, in a sense, like, excuse me, i like fucking with that, that tendency we all bring to, to like, the, the, there's this thing called incremental linear development and that actually that idea itself is one of the very things that's getting in the way of our own growth and development because we just have a simplistic idea about how it will be you know if i think about my own growth and development it's been kind of non-linear emergent you know it comes in ebbs and flows and i grow in ways i'm grown by life in places where i least expect it and so that that's what i think i'm wanting to point to right now is is the i want to really underline what you're saying here because i, I think it is is crucial for us for the work we do because just one last thing and i'll see what it says um, you know often I've been a bit dissatisfied with you know offering clients practices, and they they kind of take them on and they don't but it's what what i'm what I'm inspired by is like how can we enhance the learning that we get from these experiments that we do? and in a way, like also screw with that kind of heavy burden sometimes of like, oh, we've got to make this incremental progress you know, this fun and laughter can come in and, yeah, change can happen in a different way. So that's where I'm coming from.
1: I love that. Thank you so much for really highlighting that. Um, It's about... So two things are coming up for me. Um, One is um, this idea that lightness is crucial for complexity fitness. Um, and So not not, you know, all fun and games, but this, um, to, to take, to hold things lightly, to not take oneself so seriously is really crucial because, um, it, it, it not taking oneself so seriously opens us up to, um, to what is right. What's happening in the moment, and this is where, you know, this, this is fun. When, when you think about what's funny and what people laugh at, it's it's often the unexpected, right? It's the punchline that you don't expect. If you expect it, it's not funny. Um, so I'm not saying life needs to be all fun and games and life is definitely not all fun and games, but this opening up to um, not knowing, to trying stuff that you think it like the, the, on purpose has an 80% chance of failing um, and just watching what happens uh, that it's, 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 I think it's this, um, this beautiful feedback loop too. You try it, you get lighter, you get lighter, you try more stuff um, and it just, it creates a, in, in our clients. And I, I have several clients for whom taking themselves and things more lightly is the work, is a big part of the work. And it does change them, but it also changes things around them, or people around them. It creates the conditions for others to do that as well. Um, so that's one thing. And there was another thing that I've now lost. <laughs> it was well, really struck me.
0: Yeah, it it might come back as I as I sp- yeah. speak. So, uh, but it but it sounds like that your clients who are playing on with that lightness. That's a very sophisticated form of like ego development in that, you know, in my own spiritual practice, that's been one of like the good signs, you know, like of progress, I'm doing inverted commas, but taking myself less seriously, being less bothered, not not aloof or detached, but still less bothered by the the events in my life and by the, you know, what other people think of me, you know, and and paradoxically, that lightness actually allows for a greater intimacy and contact with my experience, and and opens me to um, seeing things differently. So, so it sounds to me like it's quite sophisticated work, you know. To, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I guess it is.
0: Um, yeah, I suppose so. And and not maybe you know, <laughs> but.
1: Well, it's um. It's more fun. Um, and, and this reminds me of the thing I was going to say, which is a caution. I don't mean to sound, um, I think that, that if we, um, as coaches, um, if part of the work in helping our clients to build fitness for the complexity of the world, as it is, if part of that work is, um, helping them supporting them to be more experimental, to, um, not be so attached to outcomes, to be lighter. Like I, I believe that that is, is true. And um, I'm just sort of scanning my clients and some clients start out more kind of um, amenable to that, you know, and I have other clients who this, this idea of, um, of lightness is itself a threat, like a significant threat to their identity, their worldview. So, as we always do with our, our clients, um, in this case, meeting a client where they are, um, if, if where they are is, um, is holding things really tightly. I have many clients like this. So having, um, compassion for that part of them that wants to hold things well, that wants to be, that, that feels a deep sense of responsibility for things, um, that, um, that carries a burden that this, this is so crucial. So I don't want to send the message that it's all about likeness. Um, it starts by meeting the, the clients where they are and honoring um, whatever it is that they hold as their, our, our, their own identity and what's theirs to do in the world, holding that with a lot of reference, reverence and, you know, then, then begin to, um, with their permission, help to kind of probe some of the edges of that.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, appreciate you sharing that. And I guess in a sense, it would be like um, holding that tightness with lightness, in the sense of um, yeah, there's a T-shirt slogan in that or something. Love yeah, that. Um... Write
1: that down, Joel. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But you know, not adding a layer of like secondary judgment to feeling tight, you know, that's Oh God, but actually being able to be compassionate and caring that, that that tightness is there and there's an intelligence inside of it. And yes, that it can unwind and loosen, but yeah, not to, not to impose any idea of lightness on top of the experience and. I'm just wondering if there's anything we haven't talked about that you think is an important idea from complexity, fitness, and genius that we could put on the table. We mentioned a lot of things, but... Thanks for asking. I think
1: the the, the one thing I just want to mention, because this is the the, the new territory for me, um, is that is the relationship between complexity fitness and complexity genius. And this is just for me. This is how I make sense of it. Um, So, you know, there's this idea that leaders need to become more fit for complexity, for the complexity of their world. That's what adult development is all about, really. So there's this, um, um, how do we as coaches support our clients to be more fit for the world as it is? Um, And I've been exploring that for a while. But the thing that's so genius... I think about complexity genius is it says, the complexity genius is, is it says, look, there are these um, innate human qualities that we have. You know, the ability to notice, to direct our attention, our breathing, movement, sleep, um, curiosity, laughter, connection, experimentation. Like these are all innate in us. And so, How do one of the, like, it's a very practical idea here that how, how do we like condition ourselves, um, our, um, our identities, our somatic experience, our connection with the world? How do we do that in ways that help us be more fit for complexity? Well, we have it in us. We just need to tap, tap into it. First notice it, tap, tap into those things and, and amplify them. It, 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 um, it brings a real practicality to how we can work with our clients and ourselves to, to grow.
0: What I like about that is that it's, uh, what's the word, like, um, well, non-pathological. Uh, it's not that, but it it's just, um, it can feel sometimes in this conversation that we're like screwed, you know, it's like in over our heads, uh, you know, things are changing faster than, our psychobiological systems and you know we're way out of our depth and and I, I think there's a truth to that but there's also what you're saying is like these you know hundreds of thousands of years of evolution maybe billions you could say of years of evolution that's kind of pouring into this moment right now and that you know human beings have suffered and survived from countless uh you know, serious events, and so there's an incredible amount of resilience and kind of flexibility and creativity inside of us that's that's here, and that we can we can kind of tap into that consciously. And I guess that makes me, you know, I think of this um, worldwide explosion in mindfulness and movement and embodiment and breath work, and yeah, there's some there's some kind of hope inside of all of this that we're we're responding to the complexity and loss of meaning of our times and that yeah that we might be able to to navigate the complexity as a species we find ourselves in to to find more sustainable solutions for the world so yeah
1: well, you know this is the other good news it doesn't have to be so hard i mean things are hard enough and so much of um you know growth seems to be predicated on like its hard work and <clears throat> like we know we know how to play as human beings we know how to laugh we know how to notice we'd be dead if we didn't know how to notice um and we wouldn't have you know sports we wouldn't have comedy clubs we wouldn't have all this stuff that that we just we have in our worlds if we didn't know how to do these things it's just deploying them in in uh in ways that maybe aren't so obvious or we hadn't, or ways that we hadn't thought of. So I want, one of the things I want most for people that I love people that I coach everybody is for, to find ways, small or large for things not to be quite so hard <laughs> um, for more delight, for more love. So yeah, and however we choose to, you know, do it, it, that's there are lots of different ways to do it. But we do have these innate things in us that we can call on; that right there, waiting for us.
0: It's beautiful, and um, yeah, I want to say Godspeed in your work. I think this is probably a good place to bring this to a close. And I know you're going to be teaching about this work in the art of developmental coaching. You already mentioned that I think you're going to cover. This idea of complexity fitness and genius yes that's the intention excellent yeah nice (laughs) and I, i just want to say thanks carolyn like i really enjoy our our connection and your your you know this thing you talked about listening as well it's like i don't have many guests that come on and ask me questions and it creates a very different kind of experience for me which i really enjoy and so I just want to say thanks for that and obviously your, your obvious expertise and wisdom in this field of adult development work as well. So, It's been a lot of fun. That's a, a sign of success for me. Right. And we, Where can we find out? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. And I was going to ask, where can we find out more about your work?
1: So the it, pretty much everything you would want to know, um, one would want to know, is on our website, cultivatingleadership.com. There are there are articles, there are links to books, there are podcasts. Um, it's a it's quite rich. So there's that's that's where I would go.
0: Just a, a heads up again: if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com.